Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate of Blue Wire Gambling podcast my name is greg frank you can find me and my picks at undercover greg joined by my partner in crime he is lucha larry on gambling twitter i know him as bill christie at larry's lots too to give him a follow as we have been mending the fence in the college basketball offseason with plenty of golf major previews and there is only one more left on the calendar as they get started on Thursday in the wee hours of the morning here in the States, across the pond in England at Royal St. George's. Bill, it's good to have you back on again. How you been? I've been well. I've been well. I've got my alarm set for 3.45 a.m. on Thursday. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The only other time it happens is when we have the Ryder Cup over there. I, have lo- I sure. absolutely love getting up that early for an event like this. Put on a cup of coffee, hammer that home get my whole setup with all my TV, my laptop, my cell phone, all that stuff ready to go, sit back and enjoy uh, the opening round of the Open. So, you know, I've always had this thought in my mind. I don't know that I'll ever do it, but I suppose that uh, I was thinking about this before my sister married a British guy, but maybe it enhances (laughs) my chances of actually pulling it off now. I'd love to do – I played tennis in high school – I was glued to Wimbledon the last two weeks. I'd love to do a double up of you start with go over there the second week of Wimbledon, which now takes you right into the beginning of the Open Championship. It'd be an expensive trip, but one that I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. If you get the opportunity, I mean, it it is the birthplace of golf as a golf fan. I mean, I think if you have the opportunity, it's something you'd probably regret the rest of your life if you didn't end up actually doing it. So uh, I was curious, were you watching the uh, the, the Euro final with the, the Brits on uh, Sunday? No, no, I wasn't at all. Um, something happened. What ha- Was it Westwood that had something happen towards the end or a decent name 
guy that's on PGA Tour that that fell short, or I forget what I saw. Real quick clip of it. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought I saw one of the bigger names from the PGA Tour that was out there. Something happened that they fell off the very end, or oh yeah, yeah, maybe it was. I, I think I saw it too. What... Blanking on who it was too, but I'll tell you what. Maybe I think you'll appreciate this, uh, being that we're both from the uh, East Coast, Southern New Jersey area. Uh, obviously, like I said, my sister lives in London now, so I was kind of rooting for England. Not that I was dialed into every minute of the soccer match, but I did have it on in the background. But more than anything else, I mean, gosh, World Cup, Euro soccer tournaments, how much do you see, how many poser Italian soccer fans pop up in the South Jersey, Philly area, (laughs) Jersey Shore, you know, oh, I'm 10% Italian. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's funny you say that. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they just had their – uh, wedding anniversary the other night, uh, and it was it was the day that the that final happened. And my brother-in-law texts me. He's like, "Dude, we're in Ambler, PA, uh, for dinner." And he's like, "I guess the game ended and Italy won." And he sends me this video of these guys driving a pickup truck with the Italian flag in it, and they're all flipping out. And he's like, "I never knew Ambler was such a." Italian hotspot. I'm like the same thing you just said. It's like anybody that has like a little bit of that in their blood or in their ancestry, all of a sudden they're a hundred percent Italian. It's so funny. Uh, I suppose lastly, before we get into our open championship picks, I'll ask you, um, I have never been one. And we texted a little bit about this. I've never been one to get into all-star games in any sport. Uh, glorified exhibitions aren't really going to, float my boat even in this kind of dead time that we're in right now at least in american sports where the nba finals are winding down well maybe we still have another week of them but normally uh we'd be kind of uh bridging the gap in between the end of the nhl and nba seasons and the beginning of the nfl and the baseball stretch run so but but despite that i I can't quite jack myself up for the mlb all-star game and i can't really do any of them i I just i don't have I, I need something big on the line or at least something of value. And when you try and manufacture it, and thankfully they're not doing this anymore by putting home field advantage in the World Series on the line, yeah. I just think that makes it worse. So uh, I watched a very small amount here or there. I did get to see JT Muto go yard, which was kind of cool. But other than that, not much all-star game viewing for me. I, I, do, I will say, though, I like the home run derby a lot. I think that's probably the best – uh, all-star contest in any of the sports. Yeah. Um, Dunk contest has obviously lost. The yeah. Game. Yeah, correct. I agree. Um, yeah, I didn't watch much of uh, MLB. I, I watched a little bit of the Derby. Um, and then I watched the first at bat. It's like the one thing I didn't want to see. I wanted to see Otani um, get his first at bat. But you now you said it's like it's not that big of a deal and you really can't get into it. I'm really curious what's going to happen in the coming years now that gambling has become uh, so legalized kind of across the country. If they'll start incorporating that more into these type of exhibitions. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously you know, it's you funny you say on, that but. because I don't know if you saw. Did you happen to see what the over-under was on the longest homer last night? Uh, was like 519 or something like that, or 519 in the hook, and Soto hit pushed it over with hit and won 520. Like, I wow. just thought to myself, gosh, how 
I know these books can hang good numbers, but how <laughs> you can hang a, a number that accurate on that, I, yeah. I don't Yeah, I don't know. If there's some algorithm they put in there or there's some real <laughs> super nerd that sat down and figured out exit velocity and all other kind of stuff in Coors Field and what it would come to, but it is. It's it's so crazy how close they can get to on uh, on the number for for some of these prop bets. It's crazy. So we'll hope that we'll get pretty close on a few of our golf outright tickets as, again, they get started in the wee hours of the morning here in the United States over at Royal, Royal St. George's in London. Bill, just a couple things I want to throw out there just as generic pieces of information. There has been no Englishman to win the Open Championship since who? You want to take a guess? Uh, was it the last time it was at this uh, venue? Well, Darren Clark from Northern Ireland won, so uh, he would, that would still be the UK, I think. Or is it, I can't remember. I always forget if it's Ireland, or I think it might just be Ireland, so Northern Ireland might not be a part of it. But nonetheless, it is not Darren Clark. Was it Stenson? No. Cause Stenson's Swedish. Swedish. Gosh. Go ahead, hit me with it. I can't think of who it you would gotta be. you got to go all the way back. Back to Nick Faldo in 1992. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's almost as bad as England's soccer club, I guess, right? How long their trout's been with right. the URL. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's funny. We just had the Montreal Canadiens in the Stanley Cup final, and they are the last team. They didn't win this year, obviously, but they were mm-hmm. they're the last team to win the cup from Canada, and they want the year they won was 93. You know, and, and they got now seven teams in Canada, so I thought of that too. But yeah, 1992, the last wow. time a um, Englishman won. Were you the, walking the earth back then in 92? I was not. No, I oh. was born December of 94. So oh I've never been alive for it. Here's the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting. There are in the current, this is just a stat, no, no trivia here, but in the current world golf rankings entering this weekend, uh, there are none of the top 10 golfers have won the open championship. Um, so, you know, I, I thought that was kind of interesting now for what it's worth. Rory McIlroy is 11th and he has won, uh, but no one inside the current top 10 has won the open. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, we'll see if, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you might be able to speak to this better than I could. Do you think that there's something to, at least for the ones that play primarily in the States going over there and maybe the Lynx course, just not quite, you know, being their style and, you know, kind of throwing some guys off. You think there's anything to that? Cause obviously we have some young Americans in this top 10, you know, uh, Bryson DeChambeau is the sixth ranked world golfer and uh, Colin Morikawa is number four. So, you think there's anything to the fact that some guys just play a ton in the States and then they get over there in the UK and it's a little bit of a different animal? Yeah, I definitely think it is because, I mean, just history kind of speaks for itself. And that fact that, you know, you see a lot of these big, big names that consistently struggle when they go over uh, to play in this this tournament. And, you know, whether it be the fact that, like you said, they, they can't keep the ball low um, to keep it out of the winds they're dealing with over there. Uh, and, or it's just overall, like, right. Like just think about yourself, like when you're going to a different place, whether it be, you know, a, a further part within the country where, you know, in this case, you're going to a different country, like 
you're out of sorts, whether it be jet lag or you're dealing with language barriers or, you know, sure. food you're not comfortable with. Like nobody really talks about that, but that definitely plays a, a factor into this where, you know, it's an individualized sport. It's one person that's you know, dealing with all these things. And granted, look, they're, most of them are multimillionaires, so they can afford to deal with this on a, on a very uh, luxurious budget. But all in all, I mean, I think it does affect them. Whereas you said, like the guys that are on the European tour that spend way, way more time over there, it's really that much of a, of a uh, shock to their system at all when they, when they go over to play in this tournament. But like you said, as far as Englishmen go, we haven't had anybody go since 92, go on the win this, right. but, yeah. uh, but, but the fact that, you know, like, again, there's some big names, like you mentioned the one Bryson DeChambeau. I just, I looked at his uh, previous years, how, what he's done, and he hasn't done anything in this event. So a guy that absolutely went out and dominated the U.S. Open uh, at times can't go out there and do the same thing over here. So, I mean, that's kind of case in point. So without further ado, let's get into some of our picks. We'll start at the top of the outright market and work our way down the board. Obviously, uh, we are seeing the defending U.S. Open champion, and current world number two, John Rahm, is the favorite pretty much at every book. Uh, Bet online hanging eight and a half to one for John Rahm. Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth following suit at 16 to one and 18 to one. And you're interested in both of those Americans. Uh, Bill, I'll let you share your thoughts on those two. And uh, if you know, I don't have much on Rahm other than, you know, it, I can't remember the last time we saw somebody win back-to-back majors. Was it Spieth, probably, in 15, winning yeah. the Masters and the U.S. Open? So, yeah, think, you know, I, so. I feel like uh, – I'm sorry? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Spieth was the last the one. the DJ three-putt on the 18th at Chambers Bay, yeah. So, we'll see if Rombo can get it done, but uh, I will probably look elsewhere. Uh, and you like Kepka and Spieth, so go ahead and talk a little bit about those two. Yeah, we talked a little bit pre pre show here about uh, our boy Brooksy, and I, I just can't fade the guy ever again in a major. Um, I, I did it, I think, in at the Masters. I think you mentioned when you were thinking about riding him a bit, and uh, I just he didn't look like he was the same player uh, at that point. And sure enough, I, I fade him. Yeah, and he had been dealing with some injuries, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I kind of. Put it at is like okay, he's injured on top of the fact that he doesn't care about these smaller tournaments. This is going to carry over into the major, but I was wrong. I'll admit it, um, and I will not be feeding him at all. So his last three years, in 2017, he finished tied for sixth, tied for 39th in 18, and then last year he tied for fourth. So I mean, he's got a great track record in the event. Granted, I understand that it's not at the same course on any of those. Uh, previous finishes, and obviously he wasn't around in 2011 to play the last time it was at this venue. Um, but his 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 track record for the last three years, and obviously what he's done in majors, uh, you, you can't ignore him. Uh, granted, it's not a great great price. I think I saw it at 16 to one on DraftKings. Um, but you know, if you're going to put some money on a a heavier favorite rather than some of these long shots that we'll be talking about. I think you can't go wrong with Brooks. And the other one, like you said, is the guy that won the last two, the last guy to win uh, back-to-back majors in Jordan Spieth. Um, and the guy that I was fading early on in the season and, you know, in the last two years, I think it was, it seemed like he wasn't the same player. And all of a sudden he's got his swing back and, you know, he's, he's, he's putting the ball very, very well again uh, in Jordan Spieth. And again, same thing, his track record, 
Last year, he finished tied for 20th. Previous year, in 18, he finished tied for 9th. And obviously, in 2017, he won the event. Um, and even back in 2016, he finished tied for 3rd. Uh, sorry, tied for 30th. Um, you know, great track record there. And then the other piece of the puzzle, too, I think is, again, like I mentioned with Brooks, is you got to look at what these guys have done in, in majors uh, throughout this current season. Because, you know, obviously the majors are, are played differently, right? Like, you have different... Uh, golfers that are playing in the majors and you have different types of fields that they're dealing with. So I think you got to factor that into it. And the two names that we just, that I just mentioned with Kepka finishing fourth in the open or sorry for fourth in the U S open, he, he finished in 60th in the masters and, and Spieth finished third in the masters, 19th in the U S open. So obviously this year they've not shied away from the big stage. Uh, and again, their track record at this actual event has been strong. So of the favorites, they're the two that I really like um, at the shorter number. Again, you're not you're not going to be getting too too much bang for your buck. But if you want guys that you think are definitely going to be in contention, I'd have to go with those two. You know, I want to ask you too. When it comes to the top of the board, I mean, how do you kind of differentiate? Like, uh, obviously, you look at these names: Rom, mm-hmm. JT, Xander Shoffley, like all guys that if they won, nobody's surprised. But at the same time, you don't want to take any of them or take all of them, excuse me, because you know that one of the one or two of these guys are going to flop. So anything you're particularly trying to look at when it comes to differentiating? Uh, look, I'll, I'll look at the course that they're playing on, right? Like if they have a specific course that they're playing that well, sometimes they, we've talked about this in previous podcasts where guys tend to have struggles at. You can have a big name guy. Again, let's throw out there again, Bryson DeChambeau. Who, who can dominate some courses. It just seems like when he goes across the pond, he's not the same player. So that makes me shy away from specific names. Um, and then just as far as odds are considered, like you just said, it, it's not very common that you have guys win back-to-back majors. So as much as I love Rom, I love the story, um, and I think he can compete in this. The fact that he has won the last major, in my opinion, makes it more difficult for him to go back to back. So that would easily make me shy away from him. Just an easy way to cut away a name. That's all. So I am interested in Dustin Johnson at 22 and a half to one. When I look at the way that he's played this year, I realize that he it's been an ugly 2021 for him. But this is one of those buy lows on one of the favorites that I just can't resist. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you're going to give me a price longer than 20 to one on the current number one in the world, I'm, I'm going to have to take a strong look. Uh, he hasn't been great. As I said, in 2021, just two top tens in the calendar year, missed the cut. The first two majors finished 19th at the U S open and only broke 70 in one of his four rounds at Torrey Pines. But the U the open championship has treated him pretty well in 11 starts at this major. He has five. Uh, top 15 finishes and he was the runner-up the last time he was at Royal St. George's back in 2011. So all of that said, uh, I just also think too, Bill, if you think about the headlines this year in golf, we've seen back before the Masters, it was about, you know, speech kind of resurgence, right? And then mm-hmm. as you talked about with Brooks, where it's like, okay, after the Masters and the uh, – Going into the PGA Championship before he finished second to Phil, it was like, oh, well, is he healthy? Where's his game at? And then he finished his second in the PGA Championship. And so Brooks is clearly back. We just see Rom win his first major at the U.S. Open. So I think that when it comes to motivation, too, DJ is probably pretty fired up. This is his last chance to make a statement at a major uh, and 
prove that, you know, he's still right there with all these other top guys. And as I said, more than anything else, you're going to give me him at longer than 20 to one in a major. Uh, it's talking to me. So uh, I, I think Dustin is worth a shot and, and somebody that I'll also try and look at, at getting him at plus money in some of the matchups against some of these other top guys. I'll probably look to play him there as well. Any thoughts on the current number one still? Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned he had, what, how many top 15 finishes? Five top 15 finishes at the Open Championship. Right, but he hasn't had any, he's only had one, right, since 2016, I'm looking at it. I think he finished tied for ninth. So recent, recent history hasn't been that strong here, but like you said, I mean, I think that storyline would make sense. Uh, to kind of fit the, the mold for it. I know you are a big storyline guy when you're looking at, at these types of prop plays. Um, right. And, yeah, I think it would be a great story for him to come out and make a statement. How about another one? And, and I'm not on him, but and it kind of falls in that category is something that's really fallen off. What about Ricky Fowler? Yeah, you know, you I know, have like seen some it. love for him, you know, as far as somebody that maybe gets his name back in the discussion a little bit. And, gosh, I mean, you're talking about getting him close to triple digits, so 85 to 1, 90 to 1, it looks like. Yeah, so, I don't have him on there. But, man, like, and I'm looking at him now. Last year he finished high for sixth. Previous year, 28th. Previous to that, 22nd. And the last time it was here, in 2011, he finished fifth. So, I mean, he's got a really strong track record. Again, it's just he's just been so super inconsistent. It seemed like he was back uh, a couple weeks ago. He seemed like he was starting around to form and then fell on his face again. And, you know, unfortunate for him, I feel like he could play – an absolute incredible 69 holes of golf or 71 holes of golf, whatever it is. And that last hole, he just seems to fade at the very end. He can never get the job done, but that would be another good storyline to look for a guy for like Ricky Fowler, who's had an incredible track record at this event. You know, the other thing before we move down to, to some of the mid tier guys, I also just think that the general rule of thumb here, when we look to, sprinkle the outright market is to try and dip your toes in all three tiers, the top tier favorite guys, pick a few of them, try and go for the mid price guys, and then throw a few long shot darts. And if you look at the three majors so far this year, I think that's what you've seen in the sense that we have a mid price guy in Hideki Matsuyama was 40 to one going into the masters. We have a long shot in Phil Mickelson, granted a very long shot. He was 250, 300 to one, but Point stands. And then Rom was the, I believe, the favorite at the U.S. Yeah. Open or yes. you know, I think it was 10 to 1. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm not saying if anybody that's listening and you don't want to tail our exact picks, that's fine. But I, I just think diversifying your bankroll into three <coughs> categories makes a lot of sense in the outright market. Yeah, I 100 percent agree, because the way I look at it is we talk about value all the time, right? So I feel like you're going to get value obviously on your long shots because well, I'm not taking this guy, but I just happen to see his odds. A name that's been a staple on tour for so long. And Matt Kuchar kind of like lefty was he's 200 to one in this event. Like if you're one of really, really super long shot, it, it, throw something on him. Like you can get some really, really good names at an awesome price with these long shot odds. <clears throat> and then obviously the middle tier guys, you can find some guys with some value there. And as far as the guys that, we mentioned to start this, like I mentioned Spieth and Kepka and you with DJ, like, yeah, you're not going to get an incredible value price on them, but you have a comfortable feel that, okay, these guys are going to be playing over the weekend because there's not going to be anything worse 
than if you throw out there, you know, six to eight outright plays for really, really small numbers and it comes, you know, Saturday morning and you're like, uh, I have nobody left to root for here. So, like, what, then what do you do? And then you end up betting more matchups or you bet some stuff to, for guys at, at different odds, which you have always been a proponent of not doing because you typically get guys at way worse odds than you would have gotten pre-tournament. So I think it's really important to play it that way. Uh, again, like you said, don't have to take our exact picks with this, but, you know, diversifying, having a couple different guys at each tier is is definitely going to be beneficial to you. Let's keep things moving and get into some of the mid-priced guys. Uh, Bill, obviously a guy that's been red hot at majors. You know, it's crazy to think about, too. I saw a stat from, and you're going to take us on Louis Oosthuizen, the mm-hmm. South African. I saw a stat on him that uh, really, it didn't surprise me because I watched enough of these majors to see his name on the leaderboard time and time again. But when you actually sit down and think about it for a minute, it is crazy. Kyle Porter from CBS Sports had this stat, and it was that if it was a certain amount of, there it is, two strokes away from having three majors, six strokes away from having five majors, (laughs) and 12 strokes away from having seven majors. I mean, you know, that's crazy to think how close this guy's been. Now, he did win the Open Championship before, and I suppose that might factor in a little bit into why you like him. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you talk about a consistent beast. Uh, He is always there on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned most of the the reasons that I would give for taking Louie. Um, And on top of it, like I said, the recent form in majors, he came runner up at the open at the U.S. Open. And he also came 26th at the Masters. So, I mean, he's got an incredible, incredible track record uh, at these majors. Again, this is a guy who I feel very comfortable with taking and and feeling as though he's going to be right there on uh, on Saturday to start the weekend to where I'm going to have a horse in the race there. So. Louis is just super, super consistent. I say all this, and then probably the smartest thing to do with my information here is to fade me and probably take Louis to miss the cut. It'll probably be the first time he's missed a cut at a major like in however many years. So, Taylor, fade you the way. Good luck to you. Another guy that you like in this price range as well is an Englishman, Tyrrell Hatton. Yeah, so I wasn't too high on him earlier on when I was going through uh, some of this stuff because he really hasn't had much success in this event in the past. Uh, I tend to look at the last like three or four years uh, with events and just to see where these guys have finished within the top, you know, 35, top 40. And he really, I don't think he had anything as of recent. Um, I'm trying to look at it right now. He may have had one finish that fell into that category. No, I don't think I have him as as falling into that category at all. Um, however, when you look at things like the important statistical categories that are going to be factored into this uh, event, you look at shots, or sorry, strokes gained from approach to green, um, and he has been pretty strong over the course of uh, this season in that category. I'm trying to pull up exactly where he stood. So he's he's 11th. Um, on tour as far as strokes gain from uh, approach. And then the other one I look at is driving accuracy because, you know, there's going to be plenty of guys that are playing out of the rough here uh, this weekend. You don't want to have a guy that's going to be in there 
uh, and he is not as good as he was as far as strokes gain uh, on approach, but he is ranked 60th on tour as far as uh, driving accuracy. So he's a guy that's going to be in the fairway a decent amount. He's going to be approach his approach shots are going to be getting him some stroke advantages. So, and again, maybe it's the story of the first guy since 1992 to win it as an Englishman. So if that storyline pans out, that'll be great. And again, he's at a decent value. I have him at 35 to one, um, Louis at 25 to one. And I'll just give you one other name real quickly. Uh, sure. it's a different, it's an American Patrick Reed who has just been, he, he, you, you can always make the, you can almost make the argument that he is the American Louis, right? Like, He's another guy who just yeah. seems to always be in contention uh, for all these major tournaments. And even in, in the course of this year, he's been really, really strong as well. Uh, he finished 19th at the U.S. Open. He finished 8th at the Masters. And then the past three years – I'm sorry, the past two years of this event, he finished uh, in 10th last year. Previous to that, he was uh, in 28th. So another guy who just seems to be – uh, in contention, always rising to the occasion at the, at the majors. So Patrick Reed's another guy that I'm going to be putting a, a small amount on um, at 35 to one at that mid value kind of number. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was really interested in Reed, and, and again, you talk about the consistency that seems to exist with some of these guys in these price range. Where I almost feel like Bill, like it, with whether it's Louis or Reed, or I'm about to, I'll, I'll, I'm going to speak to Patrick Cantlay. But the betting market, it's almost like you're just waiting for them to win, and then you're going to see the them go up about $10, you know, and all of a sudden a 35-to-1 guy is going to be 25-to-1 or 20-to-1 even. You know, and I think we're kind of seeing that already, even though this guy hasn't won a major uh, with Xander Shoffley, where it's like everybody just knows Xander's going to win soon. And so he is priced right there with all the guys that have won majors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I – I'll be honest, like, I, I don't know how much of a difference there is between a Xander Shoffley and, and Louis Oosthuizen has won a major, but it was a while ago, or uh, Colin Morikawa, who also has won a major, but you find him in this north of 30 to 1 price range. Um, and, and so I just think with some of these guys, particularly the ones that haven't won majors, whether it be, uh, you know, a Tyrrell Hatton or a Patrick Reed, who, and he won the Masters. So, um, you know, I, I think Cantley's right there, too. And as far as what I like about him, he's up to number seven in the world in the rankings, just behind Bryson. He's ahead of Brooks. He's ahead of McElroy. He also beat Colin Morikawa in a playoff at the Memorial just over a month ago to win the event. Uh, and he's also been very consistent at the majors after he turned pro in 2012 and since 2018 has finished in the top 15 of all four majors. So he's certainly knocking on the door top five in strokes gained on the par fours, 10th in scoring average, 22nd in greens and regulation this year. Um, you know, so one of those guys, like I said, where I can count on him to regularly be a factor in majors, I feel like. And once he wins one, I just think you're going to see his price jump a lot. So he's somebody that I want to try and continue to bet on to win his first major. So can't lay for me. Uh, and then I'll give out an Englishman of my own, and it's Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, not a ton of results necessarily that, as far as recent play, that makes me back him. He actually hasn't played since the U.S. Open. But on one hand, I also look at that. I looked up some stuff about the Englishman. Like I said, I brought that stat with Flat Faldo. And Fleetwood had a lot of quotes about how much winning this tournament would mean to his career. He finished second uh, back in 2019 at Royal Portrush to Shane Lowry. Um, and 
another guy whose game, I think, is good enough and can get hot at, on any weekend and, and be right there, as evidenced by the fact that, as I said, he finished second at the Open in 2019. Um, and while it hasn't been the best season for him, he still made 11 cuts in 15 events. So somebody, I think, will at least be there on the week. Sixth in strokes gained around the green which I also think is important because these links courses kind of hilly, right? And you can get some good bounces. And I think most guys you're going to see are going to drive it pretty well. And so moving forward, it's where do you, where are you able to kind of clean up in tight? And I think the fact that I saw Fleetwood has been good in strokes gained around the green makes me think that that might lend itself well towards another good open championship for Fleetwood. So those are my two guys in the uh, mid-priced area, Patrick Cantlay and Tommy Fleetwood um, in that 35 to 40 to one type price range. Let's keep moving things down uh, before we get to the long shots. There's one more uh, mid-priced guy that you like. It, it is another American, Tony Finau. Yeah. Finau, I can't help myself. Like I said to you prior to jumping on here, I feel like he's a guy that, if I take him, he, he's terrible. If I if I stay away from him, he's in contention. So I'll be sprinkling a little bit on Tony. He's got a good track record as well. He falls into all those categories for me. So decent value at 45. Another guy who, you know, you feel like he's only going to break through at some point soon and win a major here. So we'll go with Finau, mid-level guy, yeah. Not a lot of enthusiasm there. No, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't get excited about it. Honestly, like, you know, I... <laughs> Like, he's either going to be in contention or he's going to miss the cut. And the fact that I'm putting anything on him, chances are he's probably going to miss the cut. So I can't get excited. Let's keep things moving and get into some of our long shots as we put a button on this one. Uh, Bill, I'll let you start with the Mexican Abraham Answer uh, and Alex Norin. Answer's had some good results in the past. Somebody that, again, from a pure talent standpoint, I could definitely see being in the mix. Yeah, uh... Again, pretty much for all these guys, I'm going to be saying the same the same type of things for uh, if they had a good track record, uh, either in recent history or if they are just really top of the line as far as the statistical categories that I feel are really important in this event. And he falls into the statistical category with these with what I'm looking at. He's sixth uh, on tour in driving accuracy, uh, and then I believe he is. 30th uh, on tour in, as far as strokes gain on approaches. Uh, he's kind of been a name that's been around. Uh, he seems to relatively make the cut all the time. Um, really hasn't broken through and gotten a huge win. Uh, you know, it could be this event. But again, the fact that I'm getting him at, I, I saw him at DraftKings, I think it was 65 or 70 to 1, a really good number and a good price for a guy who's statistically just been really, really strong across the board all season. That's why I'm going to be on answer. Uh, Alex Noren kind of is on the other end of the spectrum there. Uh, super, super competitive the past three years. Tied for 11th in the event last year. Tied for 17th previous to that. And in 2017, he was tied for 6th. Uh, and most recently, U.S. Open, another big stage. He finished 17th. So he's got a really, really strong pedigree at this event. Uh, and again, you tend to stay away from Americans. I feel like it's always a safer play. Uh, when you're playing the open here. So majority of my guys are going to be uh, Europeans, but uh, not the only reason why I'm on Norm with the obvious tie for 11th, tie for 17th, tie for 6th. I mean, the guy's been pretty much in contention the past three years in this event. 
you mentioned guys that have been in contention the last couple of years in this event. I'm going to go to the Aussie Mark Leishman as far as somebody that I'm interested in. I don't know that we can necessarily call him, uh, you know, a definite long shot, but definitely a longer price guy than some of the other ones uh, in that mid-tier that we were discussing as uh, Leishman looks like he's sitting in the 60 to one neighborhood. Uh, I got him at 55 to one. Uh, and, you know, good history at the event, as I said, finished sixth at Royal Birkdale in 2017, second at St. Andrews in 2015, and fifth at Royal Liverpool in 2014. Leishman's recent form looks pretty good as well, entering off of a third-place finish at the Travelers Championship. Five cuts in the last six starts makes me feel good, too, that he'll at least play the weekend, which, you know, doesn't sound like much, but obviously... Uh, you know, the variance in golf can be pretty wide and we're going to see guys at the top of the outright market miss the cut. That's just the way the sport can can play itself out sometimes. And he did finish fifth at the Masters back in the spring. So uh, a lot to like about, as I said, the history at the Open, how he's played in 2021. He's comfortable on link style courses and the ball stays low to the ground, which I think is important when it comes to the the winds that we're probably going to see. At Royal St. George's, I looked north of 10 miles an hour every day this week. So uh, the low flight on Leishman's ball, I think, could certainly factor it in a little bit more. Uh, And then another American that I'm interested in. How about Jason Kokrak? He is sitting at in the 80 to 90 to one price range. I got him at 90 to one. There isn't a lot of pedigree for him. Obviously, once you start getting close to triple digits, you know there's going to be some flaws. There's going to be some picks in the armor that make it harder to get to the window with these guys. That's why the price are. And for Kokrak, it's just the fact that his major results have not been very inspiring. He's done no better than 17th, which came at last year's U.S. Open. So when you look at what he's done, a very strong season in 2021. He's up to 24th in the World Golf Rankings. Uh, he had a stretch in late February and early March of three straight top 10s. He won the Charles Schwab in late May. I mentioned he struggled at the majors. He missed the cut at this year's U.S. Open, but he came right back and finished 12th in his last start at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So somebody that in the non-majors, he's been really good. And I think if you're just talking about how he's played uh, at this price, 80, 85, 90 or one, wherever your book's floating around, I think it's worth a shot that he can bring his non-major game to a major championship. Uh, And at the end of the day, when you're talking about long shots, you're talking about somebody that you're just hoping is in contention come the back nine on Sunday. How they handle themselves from there is anybody's guess. We can't really quantify that. Uh, But I think his strong play this season at least gives him a puncher's chance. Enough for me to take a flyer on Jason Kokrak. Um, Let's wrap things up. With uh, you have another American, Russell Henley, and a Canadian who I have liked in the past. Now on him this time, Corey Connors. I'm curious what you got on those two. Uh, yeah, so Russell Henley is a guy who uh, a decent track record here in the past. Uh, trying to pull him up right quick. Uh, so yeah, I am on Russell Henley. Uh, he falls under the statistical categories that uh, I believe are going to be uh, the driving force within this. This major uh, shot strokes gained on the approach. He is third on tour, only behind Colin Marcarla 
and Paul Casey. Uh, and as far as driving accuracy, he is 37. So, I mean, to be in the top five and then to be in the top 40 in both of those categories, uh, I can't really look away from the fact that he hasn't had super, super successful outings within the uh, the British Open. But the fact that he's playing so well in these categories this season makes me lean towards him for this event. Uh, and then the other one being the Canadian that you mentioned, Corey Connors. Uh, Corey has kind of been a guy, at least for me, who he's been like almost right there in a bunch of different events. Uh, again, doesn't have a, a huge track record here uh, with the British Open. But he's a guy that just seems to be like on the cusp, at least for in my personal opinion. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of somebody who who kind of reminds me of him, like a maybe like a Ryan Moore who's kind of been in contention in a bunch of different events. You feel like he's just really close to breaking out and being a more consistent contender uh, on tour. Uh, and Corey kind of falls into that for me. He's 12th uh, on tour in driving accuracy, so he's he's really good in that category. Uh, and then in strokes gained. Um, He's eighth. So if anybody uh, in this event may be behind, I feel like Morikawa has uh, decent numbers in these categories as well. Corey Connors is probably the, the closest thing uh, to Colin as far as uh, being in the top 15 in both of these categories. So you can't look that look away from that. And again, like he seems to be a guy that's just he's right on the cusp of being a superstar. And, you know, maybe this is the one that that kicks him off in that direction. Yeah, right. And, and again, he's certainly somebody that has knocked on the door before. And at the end of the day, just hasn't quite been able to dot the I's and cross the T's. And that's why you see him at this price range. And and I think it's it's worth those guys kind of, you know, you, you just need one of them to put it together. And, uh, you know, it, you would certainly think, Bill, right, like if you're a guy like a Connors or or like I mentioned, uh, Leishman having played well at the Open, uh, you would think they're coming in with the confidence and belief in themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, why, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. So again, I, I think uh, guys like that that have the pedigree before at Masters that, or excuse me, at Majors that just haven't quite been consistent enough, and that's why you're seeing them north of sixty to one, seventy to one. Uh, I think is is definitely uh, worth a look. My last guy is going to be a guy that I don't think many people have heard of, Lucas Herbert, who is 90 to 1, 100 to 1. He's an Aussie. Um, and he's been playing very well on the Euro Tour. And, and when I look at what he's done, uh, he finished first, he won the Irish Open. Wire to wire win, by the way, and finished fourth at the Scottish Open. He's only 25, so he's young, and maybe you worry about some nerves. You know, betting markets aren't going to adjust the same way, though, on a guy that wins, you know, two top five finishes on the Euro Tour as they would, obviously, a Rory McIlroy or Brooks Kepka on the PGA Tour. Sure. Six major starts. He's made the cut in four of them, uh, and that includes his last two major starts. Uh, at the PGA Championship and last year's U.S. Open were the last two majors he played. So uh, just a name to kind of file away. I got him at 101. Lucas Herbert, the Aussie, uh, who has been playing very well in the Euro Tour. I think he'll find himself at home a little bit 
at Royal St. George's. And so I'll take a flyer on him. Bill, any last words? You're uh, saying that you're saying there's a chance that we could have two Lucas champions back to back events. <laughs> right. We had Lucas Glover just win the first time in 10 years, I think it was. And who knows? Maybe it's this young, uh, this young lad out there across the pond that gets the job done. You, go. you know, it's funny. You see some of these guys, you said it like if nerves play a factor, but you've also seen some of these guys, you know, the amateurs that are in these events and all of a sudden, like they're on the first page of the leaderboard on day one. And to me, like if you're going to get nerves, it's going to be the first day, right? Like where you're out there, like, all right, if I can put together a decent round here to make myself, uh, you know, in line with a cut for the following day. And it's crazy when you see some of these guys out there, it just seems like they got ice in their veins. They go out there and just act like they've been there their entire career. It's not their first time. So, who knows? Maybe it's going to be this kid Lucas for you. I certainly hope so. Any any advice? Any any plans? By the way, you just drinking coffee? Like, what's the when you wake up? Like, how are you like planning to stay up? Or is there like a, a 6 a.m. fall asleep in front of the television thing? Like, <laughs> no, there's never a plan. I'm not going to say that won't happen, but uh, <laughs> no, I'll definitely be getting up, uh, having some coffee. Uh, looking at some of the other sports across the board before we get started and just sitting back and taking it in. I don't think the coverage starts until, I said, what, 4 o'clock I think it starts. Obviously, they're going to be out there earlier than that. I think 1.30 is the first tee time. So I'll be collecting some data on the guys that have already gone off and, and maybe make some decisions on some plays for some later matchups in the in the day. But, yeah, I, I absolutely love having the events that early in the morning. Um, and, and speaking of events early in the morning, we're going to be having the Olympics coming really soon, too. And, and I'm excited for that because we actually get to have some action on it for the first time. I saw FanDuel's got some live odds out there already for some futures and, and for different events. Um, and obviously you can't talk about that and not talk about you know the, the wonderful job that Team USA has done in these two exhibition games. What do you feel about <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, what's going on there? I don't know. You can't take too much of it, right? Yuki's are probably puffing their chests out. <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> we can't have any of that. Anyway, good luck. Uh, I hope you can. Uh, I, I, I am actually looking forward to. I'll, I might wake up a little earlier than normal. Normally, I'm up around 830, 9 o'clock. So maybe I'll be up a little earlier. But part of me also is like hoping that I. You know, wake up on Thursday morning and there's my guy, Lucas Herbert, with a, uh, you know, he's in the clubhouse. I don't even know when he tees off on Thursday, but he's in the clubhouse with a, a 66. <laughs> oh, wow. That was beautiful. <laughs> Bill, have fun. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll reconvene. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. We got NFL Futures. I'm sure we'll be doing a separate pod on that. Training camps opening up pretty soon. Um, and you know, Hey, uh, we're in a little bit of a dead time in sports. Once the NBA finals and you think Milwaukee ties it up, well, you think we're at least going to get a lengthy NBA finals now? Is Scott Foster doing the game? <laughs> I love those trends on the refs. That's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, I think, I think they do. I think they're going to tie it up. I think we're in a competitive series. A lot of people were trying to talk us into the Suns 4-0 again, uh, in this one. Obviously that's not happening with them dropping the last game. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to get a tie, a tie series after this next game. And ultimately, I think the Suns are going to take care of business in the end. But, yeah, Bucks in, Bucks in game four. I'll be on them. There he is, Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg. Give the podcast a follow as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. 
and enjoy the Open Championship, even if you're fading, but we hope you're following. Bill, like I said, always fun. We'll talk again. Sounds good. Good luck. Everybody enjoy the rest of your weeks. And, of course, please play responsibly.